This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, I'm Ralph Tucker from Tucker Media. The year 2020 has certainly presented challenges for everyone across the world. In 2020 Revision, I'll chat to a cross-section of the community about their experiences and learnings in this truly unique period of history. From business owners, to professional athletes, to new mums, everyone will share their stories. And to give it an authentic 2020 feel, I've recorded these chats at my kitchen table over Zoom. Jen Harrison, welcome to 2020 Revision. Thanks, Ralph. I'm really happy to be here. Now, you're a youth worker in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. We've obviously had a a Victoria in Australia that has suffered during this COVID period, but uh, I want to get a unique take on what's been happening in the world. So I thought I'd head to you over there in Canada. Can you take us through your 2020? In a lot of ways, it's been a really long year um, when I look back at how much has happened. And at this point feels like it's gone by in a flash um, because the number of changes that have occurred in such a short period of time is is astronomical. And I think you're seeing the same thing in Australia. And I don't know uh, like whether or not you call people that work with young people, youth workers in Australia, but the reason that we call ourselves youth workers here is because we're not teachers, we're not certified counselors. We do other kinds of youth work. So we meet young people at rec centers or we're we're doing outreach to meet them if they're street entrenched, or we try to support them if they're struggling with substance use or mental health concerns. Um, And sometimes we work in schools, um, but we fill lots of gaps and there's a lot of us. Um, And I work in a health center called Foundry, which is an organization in British Columbia that is like wraparound healthcare for youth. And I also work with families. So I often work with their parents or caregivers. And it's been a, uh, it's been a wild year. I mean, um, so much has happened with COVID. It's been so incredibly disruptive. Schools have opened and um, a lot of people didn't believe that we were ready for it, but it's, happening and everybody has just had to adjust. We're now, I think, fully into our second wave and our numbers continue to increase. Um, So, I mean, it's been really difficult on families and especially difficult on young people who are historically underserved and marginalized. Um, And we have a, a large street population here in Victoria. And it's been a real mess trying to figure out how to ensure that we're meeting their needs. So it also means that there's a lot of people stepping up to help, but it's very, very complex. So how did things change when the onset of COVID happened earlier this year or late last year in terms of the the role that you were able to perform in the community and what sort of restrictions were placed on what you were able to do on a day-to-day basis? Well, I actually work with a group of young people who are, um, they're on what's called the Youth Action Committee. So they 
do all these different projects to help inform our healthcare systems, but they also do like social justice product projects. And I help them do that. I help guide them as they do it. And um, we've stopped being able to meet. And part of that group meeting was the camaraderie and the community that was developed because they were able to meet and chat with one another and plan things. But often it was just the, the togetherness and the safety that was created amongst those young people and we couldn't meet in person anymore. And slowly what happened, um, we did adjust by going on to Zoom, but slowly what happened is that we lost a lot of young people. They they just didn't wanna be a part of the group anymore because the, the whole idea of not meeting in person didn't work for them and being on Zoom was so weird. It was such a huge adjustment. And I couldn't really meet with families anymore to support them, to help them navigate healthcare in person. So a lot of things went again on Zoom or on the phone. Um, and I found that families were a little more, like parents were a little bit more okay with that. But with young people, we have not raised a generation that is comfortable on the phone. I don't want to speak on behalf like of all the kids that I've worked with, the young people I've worked with, but Zoom is also not great. Even though they have screens in front of their faces all the time, sitting and having a conversation like this is weird. And it's a lot of pressure. I don't like it either. And it's very impersonal. So it's it's a whole other level of adjustment and different way to communicate that has been very bumpy in lots of ways. So I think that that was a huge shift. And I mean, when it comes to the most vulnerable people that I'm working with, I have a number of families that I work with that support kids that have severe mental health and substance use concerns. And when I ask them how COVID has affected them and if they feel that it's added an extra layer of, of anxiousness or, or stress to their lives, they say it doesn't. Because for them, their lives supporting their kids are often difficult every day. So, I mean, it's, it's all over the map. It's definitely affected everybody. But based on where people are um, and how much stress they're already carrying, it, it has a different effect on them. So is that, for you, proved or reinforced the value of human connection, particularly with the people that you work with? Oh, it's just, for me, it's, it's one of the, the most important things that we can do is find ways to connect with people. We know that we all do better when we have solid, trusted, consistent supports in our lives. And that goes for all of us. And whether it's one person or it's 10, we need those people in our lives. And when those relationships get shaken up, um, or you can't connect with people in the way that you did before, it's just another level of stress and disruption and adjustment. And if you're already a vulnerable person because you're struggling with mental health or, or substance use, it's just worse. And I don't know how much you know about um, the opioid poisoning crisis in Canada right now, but we're seeing like three times as many deaths to opioid poisoning than we are to COVID right now in British Columbia. People are isolated and also, you know, strangely, we get a lot of the drugs that come into British Columbia come in through, like they're shipped in and because our borders have been closed to most folks, 
like people are are getting dirty drugs, local dirty drugs, and they're dying because of it. So it's a weird inadvertent effect of COVID. And so now we're working on safe supply and trying to make sure people have what they need in a harm reduction model. But the layers of, of complication are, are, are great. So what have been the main learnings from that kind of thing throughout the year? And, and what are the things that perhaps that are being looked at as potential solutions? Well, I should say first and foremost, as a youth worker, I often don't feel like I have very much power. And so I work mostly with the individual and with the families. And so the optimistic things that I see happening and the possibilities for survival through this and thriving through this are within the individuals that I meet. And and they are very um, resilient and adaptable and um, creative. And they do innately understand like that the power of connection and so people are doing what they can to make sure they can get through this and um and also help one another and i think that's one of the big learnings too is that when you when we ask for help a lot of people have shown up there's a lot of different like you know facebook groups and 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 different forums where we've been asking for different things like you know, tents for people to sleep in or warm socks because we're coming into really cold, wet weather and people just show up and help out. There's been cafes that have been opened specifically to make food for free. Like it's incredible the generosity and the love that has shown up to address this. However, at the same time, you know, my skeptical side is like, where were you before? Mm. <laughs> you know, why did it have to get to this place? And so I think the one of the big learnings is that you can't avoid the needs of folks anymore because they are they are very clear. They're right up in front of our faces. And to ignore it is is like a, a very overt no into someone's face. Whereas before you could hide a bit and and now, like all the folks that are street entrenched or struggling to find housing, I mean, they're on the streets and we're trying to keep them safe and and we can't ignore those issues anymore. But I'm still seeing there is so much reluctance to really work with these folks in a holistic way. So it's not just throwing money at safe supply so they have clean drugs to use. It's not just getting them into a house or an apartment. It's like, do they have supports in place? What is their mental health like? Are they able to afford food? What is their monthly income going to look like? And is it going to sustain them long term? It's complicated. There's no quick fixes to anything. But there's a willingness to look at it. And I think people are doing that. Just a lot of work to do. Yeah, and it sounds, and from our perspective here in Australia, I mean, a lot of the the good things have been highlighted in the media and I know that uh, negativity is normally something that is associated with media, but a lot of the reports coming out here are that people have benefited from this period because they've spent more time 
with their their family and kids because they've been forced to w- work from home. But the thing that hasn't been highlighted as much, and it's um, someone that works on on the front line, is that the people that are lonely or the people that are disadvantaged in the community are probably going to be worse off in this situation or in the anecdotal evidence that you've sort of supplied that that is definitely the case. Yeah, I think like the idea of or the like the awareness around privilege has has come to the surface. There are definitely people I am like me, I'm quite privileged because my job hasn't stopped because of COVID. So I've been able to continue work. I have a very flexible and adaptable employer. And that is not the case for a lot of people. And if they were already struggling to work um, or make ends meet, it's just, it's even worse. And I mean, I think for some folks too, being able to stay at home with their kids have been has been great. But for others, if they can't get out of the house to work, then then it's just another layer of stress. So it's just, it's really individual. And not everyone is benefiting from being able to work from home. Um, and not everybody wants to work from home. But I know a lot of people, especially like we have a, a really high volume of retail workers and, you know, um, people that are working in restaurants and and cleaners and like, like these people have been affected in a, in a, in a really substantial way because their jobs either stopped or they've been greatly reduced. And then one of the biggest issues in Victoria here is housing. And so some people aren't able to pay their rent and there's been some help from government However, um, it's still precarious. We don't know when that's going to end. And it's not entirely clear that if you've got a rent reduction, are you going to have to pay that afterward? So there's been a lot of really good talk around like a guaranteed minimum income. And for folks, and I hope that we're moving in that direction. I hope we're moving towards legalizing different drugs so that people don't have to be charged when they're using drugs because it just adds to whatever they're struggling with but yeah there's again it's just layers and layers it's it's not the same story for everybody and i just happen to work with this with a population that that's that is struggling and that is historically underserved and inadequately served so what has been the response from the government you touched on that there and what kind of have you seen decent leadership from your your country's prime minister i mean that's one of the things that's sort of been looked at here in the um and of course in new zealand that uh, when it first struck people were sort of taken aback as to the the shutdown or the lockdown sort of stance but then quickly came around to the the realization that the government was doing a pretty good job i mean there's states here that battle between each other in terms of of governance but overall the reception has been reasonably uh positive and you know wartime prime ministers are often seen as popular ones because they're handing out truckloads of money to keep people going but what's the 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 vibe been around the leadership in in canada Oh, it depends on who you are and what your income is and how you are benefiting. I mean, we don't act our best when we're desperate and anxious. And I think that no matter what, 
I I like to believe that that our provincial leader, at least our provincial leaders, are doing their very very best um, in a very difficult um, and suffocating situation. I know there's a lot of people who would disagree with me on that. Um, there's definitely some things that I wish were happening <laughs> differently and addressed a bit differently, but um, I'm also not in that seat and I don't know what it's like to be in that pressure cooker. There have been like a lot of subsidies for for different businesses and for individuals who are struggling, who have lower income. Um, so that's been really helpful. Our provincial health officer, Bonnie Henry, has become a bit of a hero because of the way that she has advised us step by step. She's been very gentle and calm. She's been um, clearly directive. Um, and so people really dig her. But now in this second wave, which she predicted, which was very clear to us, our numbers continue to go up exponentially. And so we are now asking her, or she is being asked very clearly for more clear direction. And um, we just, as of last Thursday, were asked again to be more in lockdown mode, not full lockdown, but, you know, only talking, only spending time with close family, like ensure you're only walking with one person. If you have to go on a social walk, like um, masks everywhere, that kind of thing. So I think what we're asking for though now is full disclosure, what's happening um, and very, very clear, strong direction because we know that if the numbers keep going up, the trend is that that will continue. And to stop that takes a collective agreement, a collective effort. Um, on a countrywide nation level, it's just different everywhere. It depends on the province that you're living in but our federal leader is trying to throw money in the direction of, like you said, but there's just always, it's always a contentious issue in Canada politics or no one's ever completely satisfied. And I mean, we here in, in British Columbia, like before all this happened, there was a lot of pressure on government to acknowledge the land of indigenous people and to ensure that we were actually returning land to indigenous people. So it was a lot about land sovereignty. Like there was, and in that case, the nation did not look to be doing well. And our province did not look to be doing well. It And so there was already a lot of heat and pressure to act before COVID even started. Um, so I would not say that it's one way or the other. There's just a, just a lot of heat right now. Despite the forecast of, of what's to come in, in the next couple of weeks and indeed months with the, with the winter onset, what are you looking forward to on the positive side for 2021? I would really love to see better, like from a, from a vocational point of view, from a values-based point of view, I would just love to see people served well and, and getting the services that they need. I'd love to see safe more safe supply. I'd love to see like... Um, legalization of, of um, substances here. I would, I would love to see that. I'd love to see a guaranteed minimum income. I would just love to see the movement towards equity. <laughs> I look forward to equity. And on a personal level, um, 
I really wanted to fly to Australia this year and visit friends of mine. And I hope that one day that again becomes possible. And I have a friend in India um, and I would love to fly there as well one day and, and spend time with him. But I mean, right now, priority is not spending money on flights and things like that. It's, and I don't need those things. Those are luxuries, huge luxuries. I'm not great for the environment. So maybe it's okay for me to be here and have this space to be a bit more quiet and introspective, ground myself so that in 2021, I can be ready for all of these wonderful new initiatives that our government will be introducing to shift how people are supported in this process. Jen Harrison, thanks for joining me on 2020 Revision. (laughs) Thank you, Ralph.